0: Hello and welcome to the Tea and Toast podcast, the bi-weekly podcast which focuses on mental health and wellness. On today's show, we have Ben Simmons, founder of Inner Vision Nutrition. Ben is a registered nutritionist and PT based in Melbourne, Australia. I first met Ben backpacking in Croatia, and since then he has continued to launch his business in London and in Australia with the aim to understand all aspects of an individual's life, as it is all intermittently interconnected. Ben's practice is to focus on three stages, diet, lifestyle, and environment. Today we'll be focusing on the connection between nutrition and our mind. Ben will be talking through aspects of gut health, stress, fatigue, and advice on how we can start our own journey. More than ever, it is really important in terms of focusing on well being, wellness, and nutrition, is something that keeps coming up. A lot of people have emailed in particularly about nutrition and the way it interlinks with the gut and also with regards to anxiety. So Ben will be joining us and also be talking through the link between gut health, our mind, explaining a bit further on what that is, why it's so important and other areas of nutrition that we may not necessarily know about. So to sort of kick off, I'll hand the mic over to Ben to introduce himself.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Ben. I'm from Melbourne, Australia. So I'm a registered nutritionist here. My journey into nutrition started about eight years ago. So I've always been uh, heavily into dance music. And I guess with dance music, there's a lot of partying and that sort of stuff going on. So when I was younger, we used to go out quite a lot. And I'd sort of put my body through hell. I think I kind of got to a really low point in my life with my health. I was I was unfit. I was drinking too much. I was partying too much. I was eating eating a crap diet. I sort of decided that it was sort of time to make a change. So there was a couple of things that I did. I started to started to eat better and I started to exercise more. I got into the gym and got really interested in how nutrition works and what we should be eating to fuel our bodies. Uh, and then I enrolled at Endeavour College in Melbourne and I did a Bachelor of Nutrition. I guess my sort of focus went from sports nutrition and that sort of stuff to understanding how nutrition can play a role in all parts of our life, in particular with like mental health and how we feel on a daily basis. I finished my degree about three years ago when I moved to London. I did some work over there, started my project, Inner Vision Nutrition, and the aim was while I was there, I was working in London, I just noticed everybody's really stressed, everyone's running around all the time, and I feel like that it's sort of not talked about, and I felt like it was a great thing for me to go into Businesses and the community and I go in and do these talks and educate them about stress. I'm now launching that here in Melbourne and just continuing to work with, you know, people and businesses and communities just to understand stress a little bit more um, and also to just help people with mental health conditions and to basically feel better on a daily basis
0: totally agree with you when you're younger and you're partying and you treat your body how I think about how I treated my body then versus now is just so different and it's interesting that you ventured into exploring it in London and now you're doing it in Melbourne which is amazing I think it's very much needed and what often comes up with nutrition is gut health what do we mean by gut health and why is it actually so important for us?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it's a bit of a trending word at the moment and everyone's sort of talking about it, but I don't really think that people quite understand what it is. So I'm just going to give you the basic layout. So when we're talking about gut health, we're typically referring to the gut microbiome. So what the gut microbiome is, it's a community of bacteria that live in our gut and it's estimated to be over about 100 trillion different bacteria in our gut. And these bacteria have a bunch of different functions in the body. And some of those include digestive health, they function with our immune system, our weight regulation, they can affect our mood and behavior, and they can also affect our hormonal health. First, there's a lot of things that can impact the diversity of bacteria in our gut. So this can even happen prenatally, so when before we're even born and we're in the womb. So certain things like the mother, if the mother's under stress, or if she's taking antibiotics or undergoing surgeries, these sort of things can can impact our gut microbiome but when we're born that's sort of when we first sort of see the development of the bacteria in the gut Um, and that's going to continue developing over the first three years of life so some of the things that can impact the diversity of bacteria in our gut first thing is how we're born so whether we're born naturally or via c-section so what we see is People who, there's an association between people who have, um, who are born C-section and sort of, we have to start to have some more or higher risk of certain conditions down the line. And that's because the vaginal mucus contains a bunch of like live bacteria that are really important um, to pass on to the fetus. And it's also influenced by other things such as genetics, where we live, our geography or our environment medications and I guess our diet as well is probably really important. and there's some of the things that can really influence the diversity of our gut bacteria. Now what happens is if we have what's called dysbiosis. so dysbiosis is basically when we have an overgrowth of bad bacteria to good bacteria, and we start to see a few problems or associations with certain conditions. So some of those conditions are IBS, which is irritable syndrome, obesity, diabetes, autoimmune conditions, some inflammatory skin conditions, such as psoriasis or arthritis, mental health conditions, such as anxiety or depression, and also some behavioral disorders, such as ADHD or autism, and also allergies as well. Um, And I think it's really interesting because me personally, I've, dealt with some of these things in particular in the past. I've dealt with a lot of anxiety and I was diagnosed with chronic gastritis a few years ago. Um, So learning, I just really became quite interested in the gut. And more recently I was diagnosed with ADHD. So there's a whole bunch of different stuff going on and it's, it's a really important topic to me. And yeah, it's really exciting to sort of be here and talking about it.
0: That intro just then in terms of gut health, there's a lot of things that you were going through that I was just like, had no idea about. I didn't realise as well, you mentioned not just IBS and obesity, but also with regards to um, mental health, ADHD. That is, it's crazy to think that how sensitive all parts of our body are and how they really connect to the mind and also the gut and the brain there's a massive interlink. So gut health and how it's closely connected to mental health and mood stability. Is anxiety, depression, mental health in general, is that something that is often a common tie when people go through their nutrition consultations with you?
1: When you talk about, and you sort of mention the gut-brain access, I think, first of all, just sort of giving people a little bit of an understanding of what that is. And when we talk about the gut-brain access, we're talking about, we have like a communication network that links our gut to our brain but it also extends to also our immune system and also our endocrine system otherwise known as our hormonal system so it's linked to all these different things in terms of people coming to to see me or people i've noticed there definitely there are some things i, I think we're just sort of more starting to understand um, the effects that the gut has on our health and in particular now we all, we all live such fast-paced lifestyles Life is pretty stressful. We don't really get much time to sit and slow down, process things. Um, and I think that can definitely affect the gut. And maybe perhaps there is, it is more prevalent now to see people suffering from mental health conditions and, and maybe poorer gut health. Um, but yeah, it's, I think it really just depends on, on what's going on. So basically, um, one of the things that the gut-brain axis does is it's we talked about bacteria so bacteria in the gut have a role in what's called neurotransmitter synthesis Um, so neurotransmitters typically thought to be in the brain and they can affect things such as our as our sleep our moods our thoughts and our behavior so some sort of well more well-known neurotransmitters are things such as serotonin which is typically known as our sort of happy sort of chemical in our brain or dopamine, which is more known for our sort of rewards center in our brains, that sort of feel good achievement sort of uh, neurotransmitter. So we now know that a lot of these neurotransmitters are produced in the gut, and it can affect all those things that I just talked about. So it's super important that we emphasize our gut health and making sure that we're doing the right stuff to populate our gut and, and making sure that our gut's functioning properly.
0: What would you say are some of the things that people can do to help with controlling their sort of gut brain and the gut axis that you spoke about?
1: Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of things you can do. And that's through I'm, the way I work in my practice is We look at three main things. And the first thing is we look at our diet. We look at our lifestyle choices and we also look at our environment as well because all these things can negatively impact our gut bacteria. I'm just going to start with sort of more lifestyle stuff. So to start with just talking about stress management. So when I talk about stress management, a big thing that I like to implement and something that I've been doing for a very long time is, is mindfulness. Um, and when I talk about mindfulness, what I mean is being more aware of, or conscious of our thoughts and being in the present moment. So some of the ways that you can achieve that are things through like mindfulness or yoga. So typically when somebody comes and sees me, one of the first things I ask about is what their stress is like. So understanding their stress and helping to implement stress management techniques that are going to help to reduce stress. And the reason why is because stress can alter our gut microbiome. Other things that we can do is obviously reducing our exposure to toxins. So alcohol, cigarettes, drugs, all these sort of things are really important Um, and also just our toxins in general in life. So, just being aware of what we're breathing in, our surroundings, looking for things, and just being aware of what we're consuming and what we're breathing and what we're putting into our body.
0: I like how you segment it: diet, life, and environment. Often when we think of nutrition, we just think about the palate and the food that we consume. So it's interesting that you dissect the different areas that you mentioned there. With regards to food, and how food can impact things to do with stress. So like you mentioned, when it comes to like sleep earlier, you mentioned that was really important for the mind. What are the foods that have to sort of play an important role in good gut health? But also if you do have anxiety, what are some foods that we might have to be a bit more conscious about?
1: Yeah, good question. I'll answer this question in two different stages. The first is we can talk about some of the factors that could um, have negative impacts in the gut. So one of the first thing that um, a lot of people might not be aware of, some people are aware of, um, is definitely medication use and in particular antibiotic use. So what we start to see is when just one single course of antibiotics can affect our gut microbiome for up to two to four years. And at the moment, we, especially with everything going on, people and our lifestyles, people just want a quick fix, especially times like this where a lot of people are sick or maybe panicking a little bit or they just need to get back to work straight away. Typically, they're going to doctors. They're saying, I'm sick. The doctor does what they're meant to do, helps treat the symptom. Now, the problem with antibiotics is, like I just said, they kill the bad bacteria, but they also kill the good bacteria too. And we're seeing a lot of overprescription of antibiotics And we're starting to see what's called antibiotic resistance, which is quite concerning because antibiotics have been such a big part of Western medicine and have, we've made huge advances, but we're starting to see that our gut bacteria are starting to become more resistant to these antibiotics. My thing would be, first of all, just don't take antibiotics unless it's absolutely essential. I'm not saying don't take antibiotics, but just making sure that when you take them, it's essential. We now know the importance of gut health. If anything, that's going to have a deleterious effect on the gut, is something we should be wary of. So that's probably the first thing. And another one I just wanted to quickly brush on was definitely we talked a little bit about stress. So obviously stress can can alter the gut microbiome, which is really important to so making sure we're we're you know using stress management in our life, looking after that. But also there's gluten as well. So gluten is a bit of a tricky subject because I don't want to say to everybody that you know you you have to remove gluten from your diet. It's, that's not what I'm trying to say. I think it's just more important to be aware that certain people will have issues with breaking down a particular protein in gluten, which is called gliadin. So this gliadin has known to produce this protein called zonulin, which is like all these fancy words. But basically what happens is it can cause inflammation of the gut. And what happens when we inflame the gut is we start to run into this thing called intestinal permeability. AKA leaky gut. Leaky gut is when we consume certain foods in the diet, we've got leaky gut and we've got a lot of inflammation in our, in, our, in our diet or in our gut. What we start to see is this thing called molecular mimicry. Just simply put, what happens is when you eat all these foods or you're eating too much gluten or we have got an inflammatory diet, most of our immune cells are located in our gut. Our body starts to mistake these foods for foreign objects or sees them as invaders. And we start to have immune responses. It could just be like food particles will cross the will cross the, the gut into the blood and will act as inflammation. And then that's when we start to see more systemic inflammation and we start to see more of those conditions that I was talking about earlier. So things such as skin conditions and autoimmune conditions and all these sort of things can be triggered by things in our diet. It's just crazy to think that just by consuming foods, we can cause inflammation that could potentially contribute or exacerbate these conditions. So they're just sort of the couple of things that I wanted to talk about. Now we want to talk about the diet. So I think one of the first things you think about and probably I think the most important thing to me is definitely um, making sure that we're getting high amounts of fiber in our diet. So fiber is the indigestible parts of, plant, of, of plant-based foods. So um, vegetables, fruits, and also like grains and beans and legumes. The main thing is what happens is when we eat these high-fiber foods, what we start to see is we've got these bacteria through a fermentation process produce these short-chain fatty acids. And they don't need to worry about the name. All you need to know is that these short-chain fatty acids are really important because they diversify the gut bacteria. So making sure that we've got a nice healthy gut microbiome but they're also really important because they will help with intestinal, um, intestinal barrier. So making sure that our gut is nice, all these little gap junctions in our gut are nice and tightly sealed so nothing can escape. Um, and they're also really important because they help to reduce inflammation. And we start to see studies that look at look people with low, low amounts of short chain fatty acids or with not much fiber or diversity. We start to see some of these conditions popping up again. And they're just associations. They're not causation. But that's something to be super aware of. Things we can add to our diet um, and things that typically can exacerbate or have a poor diversity in the gut include high-fat diets. So when I say high-fat diets, I think don't go out and throw out all your olive oils and your all these healthy fats that you have. I think when, when we talk about high-fat diets, they're particularly talking in the studies about the Western diet, so things such as um, high-inflammatory sort of oils, so things that are used more in like takeaway or you know store-bought meals all this sort of stuff such as like canola oils all this sort of things but i think the best way to approach it is sort of more going for a mediterranean style diet so when i talk about that i'm talking about in the mediterranean style diet is characterized by a high amount of like whole foods so fresh fruits and vegetables whole grains nuts and seeds um using like good amounts of like olive oil avocado oils And also like protein and these sort of things is typically just a simple way that you can sort of start to foods you can eat that are going to help to um, improve our microbiome.
0: The food aspect is really interesting, and like you mentioned, the Mediterranean diet actually keeps coming up quite a lot. And like you said, it has a really nice balanced approach when it comes to high fiber. I know fiber keeps coming up quite a lot as well.
1: Yeah, I think there's a couple of some simple tips, especially around diet. We talked about all the fresh fruits and vegetables, but there are particularly a couple of nutrients that are super important cofactors in the body. So a cofactor is anything that helps a particular system function correctly. So there, when I talk about cofactors, I'll talk about particularly about so neurotransmitters we talked about before that affect our mood, behavior, all these things and our emotions. So some of the things or cofactors that you find with these neurotransmitters are things such as amino acids. So amino acids are the building blocks of protein. But these amino acids basically are the precursor. So that means that we need these amino acids to produce our neurotransmitters and make sure they're functioning optimally. Some of those neurotransmitters you might've heard before, maybe are like tryptophan and tyrosine, these sort of things, and they, they help to produce, or we need these to produce dopamine and serotonin. These are sort of like um, brain chemicals correctly. So some of the nutrients that we um, need to get from the diet and to make sure these are functioning properly is obviously making sure we're getting enough protein. So a simple way to think about that is everybody's got different protein requirements. From one gram to about one point six gram per kilo body weight, depending on what you're doing, and you know I think that's something that's individual. So making sure that we're getting adequate B vitamins. So B vitamins come from are the best source of green leafy vegetables. So getting lots of green leafy vegetables in our diet is really important. And green leafy vegetables also contain magnesium. So magnesium is really important for neurotransmitter synthesis. And also nuts and seeds are a great source of magnesium as well. And also zinc as well. Zinc's really, really important for neurotransmitter synthesis. So things such as nuts, seeds, oysters, beans, legumes, all these things are really great sources of zinc as well. So B vitamins, magnesium, and zinc is super important. So that's just sort of more addressing sort of the diet stuff. Now, when it comes to prebiotics and probiotics. So prebiotics are foods that fertilize the existing gut bacteria that we have. And they encourage the development of of a diverse community of bacteria. People often talk about prebiotic foods and like prebiotic foods. And you see these things on Instagram, like eat leeks, onions. The truth is that prebiotic foods, the best ones you can get. are If you think about prebiotics, just associate that with fiber. That's as simple as getting fresh fruits and vegetables and also whole grains as well, which is super important for our gut health. Um, As for probiotics. So, probiotics contain live bacteria and they're thought to be beneficial as well so some food probiotics include yogurt and fermented foods so you know things such as sauerkraut and kefir kimchi is another one and there is a lot of buzz there's a lot of marketing around fermented foods at the moment um you know we need to eat these foods and i th- i think so far what we know is that the research isn't Quite there to say that eating fermented foods is going to have a radical effects on our gut microbiome. And when I say that, I just say that as there isn't enough evidence to suggest it. However, eating these foods could help to improve digestive symptoms and they're also not going to have any negative impacts. So they're safe to consume. And if you feel that they're having some benefits, so let's just say for myself, if I, I personally have some digestive issues because I've had chronic gastritis eating these sort of foods can benefit me or like that, can, that can definitely help. If you're somebody who maybe just has sort of more regular a, a regular digestive system and everything's quite healthy, um, sometimes you could view them as perhaps a, a bit of a waste of money and maybe not absolutely necessary. If you feel that you're going to the toilet and your stool movements or, or your bowel movements are more regular, I think it's great. Sure, take them, but also... You don't, it's not absolutely essential. And that's the same goes for probiotics. So there is some evidence that they can alleviate things such as anxiety and depressive like symptoms. However, most of that data is from animal studies. There are some human studies. I just think that it's still quite early in the stages of research at the moment. I take a a probiotic daily. And the reason is because I have a digestive issue and And it helps to regulate my digestion and my bowel movements. So it's great for me. However, I don't think it's absolutely essential for everybody.
0: Looking at the different aspects of fiber, prebiotics and probiotics, I think they all play a vital role. And you're right, there is a bit of a, is it a fact or a fad at the moment, especially with probiotics. And I've seen it marketed a lot more heavily than usual are there certain triggers that we may not necessarily know about like caffeine is always something that people either say is a trigger or it does help anxiety with alcohol sugar
1: yeah cool okay so first of all talking about uh things that could exacerbate or things there are a couple of things you just discussed so caffeine and alcohol and sugar So, uh, yeah, so caffeine at the moment, um, there isn't enough evidence to suggest that caffeine is good, good, nor bad for our gut. So that's still a bit of a gray area. Um, and we can talk about more sort of, uh, toxins such as alcohol and smoking, alcohol and smoking definitely can affect our gut microbiome. So they're things that we want to look at and something that's really important. Somebody comes into my clinic that we're assessing things such as alcohol and, um, cigarettes. Sugar, sugar is a massive thing. So I'll just explain why sugar is really important and well, not important, should I say. Uh, and the reason is because what we start to see is when as we have uh, different um, bacteria in our gut, we have like good bacteria. So typically if we're feeding our good bacteria with things such as fiber that we just said and all these sort of healthy foods, we start to see more of a picture of people continuing to eat those foods. So these can affect our our mood or well it can affect our desires of what we eat so typically if you're eating these fibrous foods your body's saying okay cool i want to eat more of this stuff but if you've got bad bacteria or inflammation or an overgrowth such as dysbiosis we start to see that we've got this bad bacteria and these bad bacteria love to feed on sugar so for example when somebody comes and sees me and they say yeah, okay I've, I've i'm craving sugar i eat a full meal was delicious but then After dinner, I want to go down the shop and get something sugary or chocolate or whatever that is. I start to think that, okay, this this is maybe a craving, but perhaps maybe it's coming from our gut bacteria and how they affect us. So these bad bacteria can really make us want to go for those sort of like sweet, sugary foods. And it's especially easy to do when you're in a stressed situation. So it's really important to, once again, address stress. But also look at their gut bacteria and eat more healthy foods um, such as fruits, vegetables, whole grains, proteins, all these sort of things are going to assist in making sure that we have a healthy gut microbiome.
0: I know you've mentioned a lot about different foods and how um, and lifestyles that have an impact on our sort of stress and wellness. One area that would be really interesting, especially during the current climate. People are now working from home a lot more. People are finding new ways of, I guess, living, especially in this current time. I know we spoke previously about the current situation in Melbourne, for example. It's something that's really alien to us. Are there some simple steps and best practices that you have found from educating businesses, and um, whether it's in London or in Australia, that have been really effective?
1: Yeah, with our current situation and everything going on, I think there are just some base, really basic things that we can do to help sort of improve our immune system, to just support ourselves and making sure that we're in the best possible health that we can be. To sort of making sure that we can deal with this time, so I I don't want to go ahead and say that you know by by eating these foods is going to prevent you from getting COVID or anything like that. And even this stuff that has been researched, such as vitamin D, is still kind of it's it's there's not enough evidence to suggest anything just yet that there's anything that's going to stop that. So I just sort of wanted to outline that. But there are some really simple things that we can do. And the first thing is just basic care. So when I'm talking about that, the first thing is making sure, prioritizing first of all sleep, sleep is so important, making sure that we're getting proper nutrition through some of the things that I talked about just before, um, making sure that we're getting outdoors and getting a good amount of sunshine. So getting outdoors for at least half an hour a day, getting some sunshine to make, make sure that we're getting enough vitamin D. And Exercise is also really important. That's that's really great for both our microbiome and for basically everything in the body, to be quite honest. Good hygiene. I think good hygiene is probably the most important thing right now. You can take all the supplements you want, but just practicing good hygiene is a really way to just be a little bit cautious about everything going on at the moment. And there's a bunch of different government websites that can sort of give you a little bit more information on things that you can do to sort of look after yourself at the moment. And oh lastly of course mindfulness. So just being also just looking after stress and making sure that we're not stressed because that can affect our immune system. Also we're talking about businesses. Yeah, I think the big thing is at the moment is we are indoors all day. We've got crazy deadlines and there isn't enough quite support around mental health. Well what I've found in my personal experience mental health in businesses. And it's something that it should be talked about more. The first place is to start having a, discuss- a discussion about these things, being realistic about uh, how much work somebody can do, realizing that you know stress is really important and it's a, it's really important because it helps us survive but Chronic stress can, can have some deleterious effects and can result in a bunch of different issues such as long-term health conditions and can lead to things such as, you know, we talked about mental health, can lead to anxiety, depression. So first of all, I think it's really important to address those things once again, going into businesses. So making sure that people, I've, I've talked to people giving them an understanding of what to look out for when you're stressed. So you might be, you might have difficulty focusing, you might become irritable all these sort of things or maybe you're fatigued or tired or you're constantly maybe you've got high amounts of cortisol which is our stress hormone um so typically what you start to see is you feel like you're always on the go and you really struggle to unwind so these are typical symptoms of, of uh high stress so just making sure that people are aware of these things because if they're aware they can start to sort of act on them
0: and what are the most common best practices that come with that so you mentioned the realistic aspects of people's workloads and how stress is really a major factor that kind of feeds through the majority of what we talked about is how much that can sort of impact us. Like you mentioned, it's a bit, it's a bit difficult for people to talk through mental health, and it should be that we do more commonly. What are some best practices for businesses to help encourage people to do that?
1: Yeah, I think one of the big things is definitely um, having a support network is a big thing. Um, so Businesses, it's really important for businesses to, to first of all, especially big companies now, and look, a lot of companies are doing it and still, but there's still a lot that aren't and that's prioritising mental health and prioritising health in general. So making sure that there's funding that goes in from the business to, to looking after um, people's health and that, that includes things such as people coming in, such as people like myself coming in and having these talks, helping to educate people and then there's other people who can maybe do like you know maybe coming into a yoga session maybe once a week or people who know who or who are like who practice mindfulness or uh, expert med- meditators. This sort of stuff is really important because it helps educate people. It's giving people the skills that they can take home with them to help them deal with stress. And I guess each company needs to have their own support network. Somebody that Whether that's a work, I think personally having like a work psychologist so somebody that comes in maybe once a week or once a month um, and is paid for by the business, they can talk to a psychologist uh, or even just just a GP, having a GP that comes in once a month and I know it's probably the most important thing and that's sleep. Um, And in in our environment, especially in, in business and corporate environments now, there's It's just constantly go, 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 be here at this time. And I think being flexible and and being able to talk about these things with your business and saying that, okay, cool. If you're not getting enough sleep, or if you feel that you're constantly fatigued, not only is that going to affect your productivity and affect the business, but it's also going to affect your health as well. And I think it's super important that we start to prioritize this and you can have an open communication or relationship with your bosses or your business to say that, look, okay, Right now, I'm not getting enough sleep. This is affecting my productivity. Are there some avenues that we can take? Because what we start to see is, yeah, lack of lack of motivation, de- decreased productivity, which is going to affect the business. So I think that's really, really important. And I hope that kind of answers your question.
0: It definitely does. You're right. And you've kind of hit the nail on the head there is that businesses have to learn to be way more flexible in terms of how people's life and work balance is. It's really interesting that In some businesses, they have GPs coming to work and to help with that area. I think there should definitely be more of that. And you're so right in terms of that there should be more funding and support around that because it is so important, especially now. A lot of people are feeling a lot of fatigue, lack of motivation. And so that's why it's so amazing to have you on the show today is because nutrition really feeds and connects all of that, really. With regards to lifestyle, so we we touched a bit about it earlier, is what are some of the sort of best practices for managing stress outside of work? I know the two kind of come hand in hand at the moment. And the third point, which is in environment.
1: We talked about lifestyle. So mindfulness. I'll talk you through a few techniques that I use. Everybody's very different and that's okay. So when I talk about mindfulness, I personally do meditation daily, but to be quite honest, when I first heard about it. I thought it was just, this is stupid. Why am I doing this? When it was first introduced to me and I didn't quite get it. And I think it took me about maybe like three to six months to kind of really understand the profound effects I had on my life. So there's a bunch of different apps now that you can use that are going to help that are guided meditation apps. So some of those include Headspace is a really good one. Smiling Mind is an Australian one. But if you don't want to do that, you can even just start to do that um, throughout the day. So mindfulness is, is just basically being present in whatever you're doing. So maybe you're just sitting in a park and you're just acknowledging things such as the sounds or the bodily sensations, the, the feeling of you know, touch or the weight of your body, that your breath, so feeling your breath come inside out. These are just really simple ways to just become more present. And, and I think the last one I want to talk about was other things such as people some people like to do yoga these sort of things are also really important and you know if you feel that you are getting overwhelmed throughout the day and everything's becoming a bit too intense one of the easiest ways you can sort of dial it back is just to start to do take five deep breaths so sort of breathing in through the nose out through the mouth taking five deep breaths sort of become more present and back to slowing down the heart rate and the last thing is just with our environment and just some simple things that you can do, just making sure that, for example, with our sleep, the first thing is making sure that we're not really using social media or using our phones in bed and making sure that our beds are mainly used for just intimacy or sleeping. Um, we don't want to be using anything or anything that's going to stimulate us in the bedroom because that can affect our sleep, um, which is super important. I can't believe I, for goodness, I forgot this, but also just looking Looking at uh, social media, so, uh, and our phones, and we're all addicted to our phones, I think, well, me personally, I am, and looking at ways that you can reduce the amount you use your phone throughout the day and just use it for those essential things. But also just being aware of um, social media and how it can affect us. And social media isn't inherently a bad thing. It's just being aware that if we, have a, if we are having negative psych- psychological effects from that, try to just be a little bit aware of how something makes you feel. And if it does have, if it does induce a negative emotion or something that doesn't feel good, I would recommend deleting whatever that is, whether that's an account or that person or removing that sort of stuff, because sometimes it's weird. We kind of continue to do it. um, And it's, it can really influence the way we think and how we feel on a daily basis. Something that I've tried, been trying to do every day is starting to do a gratitude journal, and it doesn't mean you have to write two pages every day. I think it's just jumping on writing it or writing. Probably best to write it down into a notepad or, or a diary or something like that, and just write five things that five simple things that you're grateful for each day. Um, and they found that one of the biggest things or an antidote to sort of unhappiness or sadness um, is typically just um, gratification or gratefulness. Sorry. Um, So just being grateful for the little things, instead of focusing on the things that we don't have, focus on the things that we do have and how lucky we are to sort of have those things. So I think that sort of brushes on a couple of lifestyle tips. Uh, Lastly, it's just environment. So just making sure we're not exposed to too much toxins such as like car fumes, paints, also like molds, cleaning products as well. You can buy sort of more organic cleaning products. And these are, and obviously not smoking and drinking, these are some really simple ways to reduce our exposure to toxins in the environment.
0: Definitely with regards to social media and comparison, that is something that comes up quite a lot. And I know a lot of people may have mentioned to you in the practice in terms of like comparison um, and comparing and kind of feeling that they have to look and be a certain way. Reducing that screen time definitely does help have a clearer mindset and it also ties into not just lifestyle but like you said environment you're blocking out those negative toxins they may be impacting you well you mentioned in terms of like lockdown and gratification journals That is something that is definitely helping at the moment is people's attitudes are becoming a lot more, I guess, appreciative, a lot more humble with what they have, having more kindness to people around them, but also to themselves. So I totally agree that having that time to journal, I think journaling is really important as well as mindfulness. Bringing it to sleep because I'd love to get your advice on this. Um, zinc and magnesium seems to come up quite a lot with sleep, and I know a lot of people. I know myself have um, where they're unable to sleep, but they can. It almost feels like there's an itch inside their leg from where they don't have the zinc and magnesium. Have you heard of that before?
1: Restless leg syndrome. Um, yeah, it's, I think the best thing for that is yeah, magnesium is amazing. So what when, when we talk about magnesium? Why it's so great, and if especially I I personally, a lot of the time I do recommend people who have difficulty switching off or have anxiety or have difficulty sleeping, I'll typically recommend a magnesium. What magnesium does, it's a mineral, and it's an inhibitory mineral. So it goes into calcium, for example, is excitatory. So it goes into like our cells and excites the muscle or excites the cells, sorry. Whereas magnesium basically goes in and it's inhibitory. So what that means is it kind of produces sort of a more relaxing, calming effect on the cell. So somebody who, if you do experience anxiety or you feel like you're always in the go and all these sort of things, this is just one approach, but um, yeah, definitely taking a magnesium supplement can definitely help to help us relax a little bit. And it can also has been um, found to reduce depression and anxiety in certain studies It can also help to improve sleep quality and sleep quality. Sleep is the most important thing for me personally. So I think that's really, really important.
0: Mm. I think it's definitely come up quite a lot in terms of the importance for magnesium and how much sleep plays a, a vital part in terms of our body functioning. So you've mentioned a number of different ways in terms of introducing more protein. What would you say is the sort of healthy plate that people should be looking at when having sort of their breakfast, lunch and dinner. And also what are some sustainable ways in which they can do that, which doesn't require, I guess, in the current climate, it's more using what you've got. I think when it comes to good nutrition, sometimes people can see a higher cost of that.
1: Yeah, cool. So, um, yeah, a healthy plate is, I think we, when we think about what we should be eating, we often go back to, Um, What you see in primary school with the food pyramid? Um, And it's, it's very outdated and something we shouldn't really follow. And the, and the truth is now that we've got, we're all so different and we all have such crazy different diets. And some people will react to certain things and will exclude certain things from the diet for belief reasons. There's a whole, it's, it's quite complex. So when I think about a healthy plate, I think about, I think about the, the most important things That people should be consuming so for me the number one thing is making sure that we're getting a large diverse uh, diversity of different um, fruits and vegetables so we want to aim for as many different sort of colors as we can a week and for me personally I think I've got a little bit of time now where I can breakfast for me typically is something I'll, I'll actually just get I'll mix it up each week or every couple of days I've got a bunch of um, uh, vegetables, really easy. Just throw some olive oil, some garlic, put it, throw them, bang them in the oven, and you've got roasted vegetables. And I'd, I'd personally typically have that for like breakfast or lunch for, you know, every day because it's great. I've got this time to sort of do that. And it's really easy because if you're busy, you probably don't have that, time, that much time to cook. So simple things like that. So I'd have like that with typic, typically, I'd have that with, you know, eggs, some source of protein. So I'd switch between maybe salmon or. Palumi, that that sort of stuff. That's me personally. And then I also like to make sure I'm getting. So I've got my fruits. And I've got my vegetables in there. I've got my diversity. I'm also making sure that I'm getting healthy fats. So typically, I use quite I use quite a lot of avocado, olive oil, these sorts of things. And then my sort of like the proteins that I just mentioned, such as like eggs and salmon, and you know, obviously the list goes on. And we talk about plant based proteins in a second, but making sure that we've got a good amount of protein. So we have a protein source with every meal is really important. Mm. And people might have one meal a day or two meals a day or three meals a day, but they're the sort of things we're looking for. And I think, you know, typically you look at somebody's diet and it still happens and I get it. It's part of our culture. It's what we're ingrained in. They wake up they have a bowl of cereal with milk in the morning, with honey, <laughs> with the orange juice, with everything. And, you know, it's part of, I remember having that as a child, as like in my childhood and I think, it's moving towards something we have got to start to understand. It that's not kind of conventionally what humans ate, you mm. know, thousands of years ago. It's it's a relatively new thing, and it's a big cause of inflammation. So I think just making sure that every meal that we have, making sure that we get a good a good um, protein source with every single meal. So you know, if you're not a vegetarian, things like eggs, meats. Um, I know people talk about the turkey thing. <laughs> I think that's probably also because they're a little bit boozy and it's Christmas Day, and they finally realise they don't have to make. It anymore but yeah those things are really important so protein um some plant-based sources of protein include things such as legumes beans nuts and seeds are really important you've got like complete protein sources so making sure that we're getting all those amino acids so some great sources include things such as um i think quinoa and also hemp seeds which are amazing new products um which which can really help with people who are on plant-based diets So those sort of things are really important. Also like soy products, all different sorts of soy products. So tempeh, tofu, all those sort of things, making sure that we're getting those with every meal, especially if you're a vegetarian, it's really important as well. It's still quite as easy to get protein in diet, but just making sure that we're including those with each meal. We brushed on um, lots of fruits and vegetables. Don't freak out about fruit. I don't know where this whole thing came out about where fruit will kill you because it won't. (laughs) Um, I think there's been a lot of hysteria over like you can't eat fruit. It's bad for you. Don't, that's absolute bullshit. It's, it's fruit is fruits is also, it's full of fiber as well. It's a great source of nutrients. So good source of uh, vitamins and some minerals and, I think it's really important to include. It's the only thing is that, yes, it is. it does have a higher amount of sugar, but then more, it's it's typically found in the fruit as fructose. So it's just not overdoing it. I wouldn't say go have 30 bananas for lunch, you know what I mean? So that's really important. And protein sources, fruit and veg, and I think that's sort of the main thing. And also just um, making sure that we're getting essential fatty acids from our diet. So essential fatty acids... Typically, you might have heard these words like omega-3 and omega-6, what does it mean? Okay, so like essential fatty acids play a role in regulating inflammation. So we want to make sure that we're getting a good, because typically our diets are are quite high in omega-6 fatty acids. They can come from like things such as meat products. They can come from grains as well, certain particular grains such as oats and these sort of things. So what we want to do is making sure that we're also getting a good ratio of omega-3 fatty acids. And you can find those in foods such as the most the highest content will contain. So things such as oily fish, salmon, mackerel, tuna. You probably want to be having like fresh, sorry, fresh sources. So you probably want to be having those at least two times a week. And if you can't, supplementing is always a good choice. And if you're a vegetarian, we're looking at more things such as flax seeds, hemp seeds are really great and walnuts as well. They just have a little bit of a poorer conversion into, into, um, into the essential fatty acids in the body that we need but just consuming those is going to help radically as well so there's some really really simple tips
0: thank you Um, and also thank you for clarifying the fruit thing (laughs) i've heard that a lot i love fruit and i've heard about sort of the good and the bad of it and yeah so thank you for clarifying that because that's something that always i've heard about and thank you for giving a really balanced approach in terms of plant-based diet and vegetarian options and it gives a really nice overview of actually what we're meant to be having in our in our diet uh, the pyramid that you mentioned and that plate that we did see at school and it is very much an old an old thing that's used because like you said everyone's different everyone has completely different diet habits would you say with regards to education especially it might be completely different because I've obviously been a while since I've been at school, but are there more things that schools could do to help people better understand what good gut health is and the impact that has on the mind and the body? You might have in Australia some really good practices where people are educating their schools a lot more about this, but do you think there is more to be done or are there good things that are happening that we may not necessarily know about?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think for me personally, I'm, I'm a little bit in the same boat. I don't know too much about what's happening currently, both in the UK and Australia. But what I can sort of say about that is, in my personal experience, we, we did get shown this food pyramid. But um, I think especially now with sustainability and farming practices and agriculture and all these sort of things, I think what, what, what I think would be really cool, this is just completely my <laughs> own thoughts, is just taking kids out, doing more uh, school trips, these sort of things, taking them to farms and educating them on, on how produce is grown. So how is a tomato grown? What does it look like? What does it taste like? What does a fresh one taste like? The difference between that, between maybe the one you get, in the supermarket, which has probably been there for God knows how long, so yeah, that's probably the first place I start. I think the most important thing around edu- is around like nutrition is educating kids on what these foods are. And I didn't get this; but I wish I did. But what these foods are, cooking methods at a very young age. One of the big problems about health and nutrition is that a lot of the time you see more sort of more this obesity picture in lower socioeconomic areas. So, and what that is, is it's what we start to see is it's typically due to a lack of education around nutrition and health. So educating them at a very young age is super important about how nutrition can affect, can affect our health, which is a, probably the first place I would start. I don't think it'd be crazy to say that from my personal experiences, and I'm sure a lot of people who listeners who do practice mindfulness is to start that um, at a very early age. And I think one of the greatest things we can do is teach kids about um, their thoughts, their emotions, um, and how they can affect us as well. And doing that at a very early age, I think could have just profound effects on society in general. If people can understand their thoughts and um, can make better decisions and understand that their thoughts aren't necessarily them and perhaps more of an ego picture going on. So that's probably the main things that I personally would do
0: the sourcing part is something, especially now, not a lot of people know where things are being sourced. And like you said, people growing their own foods, people are investing a lot more in terms of um, their own allotments, their own gardens. So that's something that would be really interesting for them to know at that age. And exactly, like you said, how to cook that, how to include that in something that when they're growing up, they have sort of the, the staples in terms of what to cook and what food should be applied into their diet final question because i'm conscious that it's now early doors on your side um so you've talked through some really nice points that people can sort of put into practice now you've gone through diet you've gone through lifestyle environment you've touched upon the work aspect as well often when it comes to nutrition there is that association of a higher cost. Um, and some people might feel that they might not necessarily have the resources um, available or may not know what's available. It's definitely way more accessible than we think. And it's something that sometimes can be neglected, but just even from talking through today with you, nutrition is so important and it weaves into everything. So I'd love for the listeners to be able to reach out to you and just just kind of begin that journey, really.
1: Yeah, I think that where we get our information from is really important. So it's really difficult because we're currently in this paradigm of you know nutrition studies that are online. And look, nutrition is probably one of the most confusing fields because it's forever changing. It's constantly changing. One thing that we get recommended one day is changing the next day and you're always going to be on top of it. And for the everyday person, this sort of information is really hard to understand. I can understand why there's so much confusion because even for me, there's some confusion sometimes. Mm. Um, and I think right now there's a big problem between scientific literature and how the public um, perceives that and what how they get their source of information and I don't know about you but I grew up uh, like with some of the shows that are on Australian television you get the every night and you get a lot of sort of the older generation looking things such as it would be like you know what are the 10 you know what 10 ways you can lose fat there was always this sort of like crazy stuff going on on TV and people just would listen to it and mm-hmm. so just being aware first of all your resources because there is there isn't a magic bullet for um, for weight loss and nutrition. And I think what's what's really important um, is looking at our sources. So for example, a good source is basically going through a government website, for example. So you can go through a government website and then they're gonna have heaps of information um, about yeah, what you should be eating. It's gonna explain things in a bit more detail. That's probably where I'd start. I'd just be a little bit just be a little bit wary about websites such as things saying um top 10 ways that you can lose fat or anything like that because these sort of things are typically incorrect or they're poorly researched and lastly um when you're taking advice from somebody i think is is looking at what the, what somebody's credentials are are they a nutritionist are they a registered nutritionist or So what i mean by that is Are they, have they done the education? Do they have basically supported by an association? And that's really important because what that demonstrates is that this person knows what they're talking about. Because anybody can sort of call themselves a nutritionist. People, particularly on social media. So I would, you see a lot of themes now with people getting their advice from influencers who have no idea what they're talking about. These people are just, they're just people and they realize people absorb this information, not fully understanding that they don't know what they're talking about. And this can have serious effects on public health, on, on our lives. So where you're getting your sources is really important. So I'd always stick to government resources or alternatively, there's so much information now on, on social media um, and just making sure that you just see what that person what that person does. Are they just somebody who's an influencer or are they somebody who is well-educated? You can always follow me. I'm always putting out useful information and resources. And at my Instagram, which is innervision.nutrition. Sorry, it's a bit of a tongue tie. I don't know why I chose such a difficult name for a business. Yeah, there's so much much great resources online now. And um, I think just um, kind of delving into that, you can really do your own research to find people who are in this field, who know what they're talking about, and are putting out some really, really great digestible information.
0: I think as a parting gift, and what I've asked for everybody that I've interviewed is, Do you have any final wise words or a piece of advice that has kind of been your sort of mantra for living a healthy lifestyle with, yeah, building a healthy and happy life?
1: Yeah, I I guess for me, just being mindful. Like life is pretty serious at the moment. And for me, especially, well, I've I've got ADHD, which I can't really, I don't really do boring things. But just having as much fun as possible. Have a laugh just I think is probably the most important thing um, in life, having having fun and being mindful and, and just enjoying what you're doing. And if you're not enjoying what you're doing, just trying to find just understanding that and maybe making changes in your life. That and also flossing. you got to floss. Everyone should floss.
0: <laughs> I love that. Do you floss then? I do
1: floss. I, I'll tell you why, because there was a, I, I was <laughs> told that there was a Reddit forum that asked um, old men what they regretted most of in life and that was the number one thing. it was people doing floss and they got bad teeth and you don't want bad teeth
0: i thought you meant the dancing flossing <laughs> not quite thank you for listening to this week's tea and toast podcast if you want to share any feedback or ask any questions don't forget to follow like and share via instagram at tea and toast the podcast and don't forget to subscribe